Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. I think most of us are probably here this morning because, at least I hope so, that we're here because we love the Lord Jesus. Number one, we want to we want to know Him better, and and we want to become more like Him. Uh, we want to grow spiritually. We want to be a part of a church that's that's growing, a community of believers that's growing and moving forward um, in their spiritual walk together. Right? We want to grow, but you know, one of the things that we don't typically think about in our pursuit to grow in Christ-likeness is that Christ experienced a lot of difficulties in life. Uh, if you want to grow in, <laughs> into Christ-likeness, you're going to grow into difficulties. He faced difficulties. Um, he faced discomfort. Opposition, hardship, persecutions. Hebrews 5.8 even says he learned obedience through his suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. It's not that he was prone to disobedience. It's that he fully entered into our human experience in this fallen world where things get tough. Um, Experiencing difficulties, long or short, big or small, uh, it's just part of life. and, uh, And it's an important part of life because... So much of our growth and so much of our learning and maturity comes through the difficulties that we face. And so we're going to look at today some principles from the life of Moses on how to respond to these difficulties um, appropriately. And uh, do, are we going to, do we fight them? Do we flee from them? Do we freeze up when things get difficult? Do we just hunker down? and try to hide, or do we lean in and move forward by faith? I'll remind us that we're looking at the life of Moses, and the subtitle is Deliverance Through Faith. Deliverance Through Faith. But we're going to pick it up in Numbers 10.33, so a new book this morning. Uh, His life covers like the first four books of the Bible, uh, maybe even five, I can't remember anyway, but not shouldn't say anything. But the people of Israel um, are setting out uh, from Mount Sinai right now. This is where we're picking it up. Uh, we were at Mount Sinai last time. They've been there for a year, almost a year, 11 months, and now they're going to move out. They're actually going to start their journey to the promised land. And uh, it's, it's exciting. It's, it should be exciting for them. But um, let's look at it. Uh, verse 33, Israel sets out for the promised land. That's our first heading. And I just want to uh, note there, I got it in the notes, but you know, we should be wrapping up this study uh, by the end of, of May, at least that's the plan. Wrap it up by the end of May. I have like a, a standalone sermon on my mind that I might preach on at the beginning of June, and then we'll work our way into a summer series, and that is TBR. Okay, that's to be revealed um, because 
I want our minds to stay focused on Moses. I don't want us thinking about the next thing. But uh, let's, let's read verse 33 through 36 of chapter 10. They, Thus they set out from the mount of Yahweh three days' journey. Uh, with the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh journeying in front of them for three days to spy out a resting place for them. And now the cloud of Yahweh was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And then it happened when the Ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who um, hate you flee before you. And when it came to rest, he said, Return, O Yahweh, to the myriad uh, thousands of Israel. So I kind of get a picture here of what it was like for them when they first set out. And believe it or not, uh, this is the high point of the book of Numbers right here. Remember God's presence, by the way, he would like he would he would lift up from the tabernacle and he would move out and they would follow Yahweh and then they would, you know, he would establish his presence again right there in the camp at night. But they were just following Yahweh and his presence among them. But again, this is a high point here. Uh, things are, you think about it, things are really looking up. Israel has the presence of God dwelling among them, a visible Shekinah glory. They can see it, right? And then uh, they've got the law, they've got the tabernacle, they're organized. Uh, if you read the chapter prior to this, or in the chapter prior to this, the material prior to this, you can see that they've got musical instruments, that are, they've got the instruments made, and they're going to march to the music, right, to keep them moving, right? Kind of like when you're doing a construction project and you put on some music, it helps you work. It's going to help them march. But um, it, they're excited. It's a spiritual high point. Uh, Moses is excited. Israel's excited. I mean, in just a few days, they could enter the promised land. They could be right on the edge of it in just a few days. And, and before they set out, this is what Moses says. He says, rise up and let your enemies be scattered. Right? Remember, there's a lot of, the promised land is going to be a take. Right? They're going to have to battle it out to take the promised land like God promised. And it's not going to be easy. And, and this is, for Moses here, an expression of faith. Let your enemies be scattered, right? He's saying, we can take the promised land. And we're going to, because Yahweh is our God. We've got God on our side. And so they're going to move forward by faith. But only three days into their travel, this, this tone of faith begins to change. Look at it. Uh, the rabble begin to complain in the first, uh, I used to have a, a slide for it, but... Number two, the rabble begin to complain. Let's read verses uh, one through nine. Now the people became like those who complain of calamity in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh heard it, because, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Okay? And the people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to Yahweh, and the fire died out. And so the name of that place was called Tibera because of the fire of Yahweh burned among them. Verse 4, And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Doesn't that sound great? Um, ugh, right, but now our appetite, he, they say, is dried up. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. 
And now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. Uh, the people would go out, go about, they'd gather it and grind it between millstones and beat it into beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. But, uh, so basically, you, you read through this and it just kind of reminds you, you read through their wilderness journeys and it just kind of reminds you of a, of a long family car ride, right? The kids are complaining, right? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Do we have to? What do, we, what, do we really have to eat this? You know, and I, oh, this gas station food is terrible, whatever. You know, I, it's just, the, and then the, you know, the kids are complaining and then the parents, what do they do? They lose their cool, right? And they t- kind of take it out on the kids a bit, but... At least that's my experience, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it crossed your mind or not, but get, look at this too. The Israelites, after they were delivered through the Red Sea, they journeyed, they're journeying to Sinai, and it's three days after the Red Sea, three days into their journey, that they started to complain. Do you remember that? That was back in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, and that's no coincidence, that they start complaining three days into this journey now to post-Sinai. Three days into both times. It's, it's interesting, actually, if you look at this, this chart uh, that I've got in your notes or on the screen behind me, basically everything that happened from the Red Sea to Sinai is going to be on repeat uh, post-Sinai as they're going to the Promised Land. And uh, the only thing that's different is that God does not respond as positively as he did before. But you can see some of these parables here. Um, Miriam, uh, at the end of, after the, after the Red Sea miracle, she's praising God. It's this whole chapter of Miriam praising God. And then you've got, in Numbers 12, Miriam, uh, God judging Miriam for rebellion. Right? And then you've got the complaint about water and, and bitter water being made sweet. And then, you know, Moses strikes a rock and provides water. Well, now Moses is going to strike a rock. And he's not going to do it the right way, and he's going to be disciplined too. You know, and then there's quail and manna beforehand. And then they're complaining about the manna, and God sends quail again. But this time, the quail is somewhat deadly. Right? So there's... Israel in the beginning, right on the way there, on the way to Sinai, Israel attacks Amalek, Amalek, or the Amalekites, Amalek, and they're victorious. Remember that? They're by faith, they defeated the Amalekites, and now they're going to face the Amalekites again, and Israel's going to be defeated. Right, so it's like a, the, t- the tables totally turn here. Um, what's the difference? Why these different responses from God? Well, it's, I think it's because the difference is that whereas before, you know, when they complained about the difficulties, when they encountered certain difficulties in their life, on their journey, God came through like a father to a young child and he gave them instruction and he showed them who he was and how they showed him he's sufficient to meet their needs, right? He gave them instruction, They didn't need discipline yet. They needed instruction. They needed to know right and wrong. They needed to know who God was. But now, post-Sinai, they know better, right? 
They're not these newborns anymore. They should be progressing spiritually because they know God. They have his law. They're in this covenant with him. And so they shouldn't be spiritual babies anymore. And so there's going to be discipline for lack of responding to their situations in an obedient faith. Okay, think about it. Instead of complaining now when they enter the same difficulty as before, what should they do? Instead of complaining, they should be like, we've, seen, we've encountered this situation before, and we know who God is, therefore, let's call on him. Right? No water. How many times has he provided water for us? Let's look to God by faith. You know? But that's not what they do. In fact, they, they don't exactly turn to him. They just start to complain and groan and grumble and just murmur. It's what the Bible says. They murmur. Instead of looking to God by faith, and it becomes a faithless complaining instead of a faith-filled reliance. So in Numbers, the complaints become acts of faithlessness. But this is powerful stuff right here, right? It's pretty convicting stuff. Imagine chewing on this all week like I do in my study, right? Oh, man. There's so many things to complain about in this world, isn't there? But from here on out, this is where, guys, this is where Israel enters into a spiritual decline. Like so much so that they never enter the promised land. This entire generation of people, in just a few days, they could have been in the promised land. Just a few days. It doesn't take that long to walk from Sinai to to Israel, to the promised land. But instead... Instead of entering it, instead an entire generation, Moses included, because he lets the people get to him. The entire generation fails to enter the promised land. And it all started with just a little bit of complaining. And complaining starts a spiritual decline where you become bitter, you become angry, you enter deep discouragement. Think about it. How many people in deep discouragement today started with just a little complaint here somewhere? Right, You guys, just a slippery slope, isn't it? See, even as Christians, right, we might have faith that saves. We've put our faith, we've put our trust in Christ as Savior. But you know, from day to day, from moment to moment, we've got to walk out that faith. It's called the walk of faith now. you got the saving faith, but now you got the walk of faith. And in each moment, in each difficulty, you've got to exercise faith. Think about it. And if we don't, we're not going to find rest either. We're going to be left wandering in dark discouragement, I think, in the desert. See, I don't know if, you, if you've caught it in verse 4, but you see some of the instigators of the complaining. Uh, verse 4 calls them the rabble. The rabble. Exodus twelve thirty eight calls them a rabble of non-Israelites. That's what the NLT says. My NASB says uh, the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude. It's a people of various backgrounds that lived on the outskirts of the camp because they weren't actually part of Israel. Right? They're just kind of Klingons here. It's a you know, kind of interesting if you've never seen that before. But there were people who were not Israelites who traveled out of Egypt with the Israelites and for selfish reasons, verse 4 says, or for or another reason, they'd attach them to themselves to the sons of Israel. Uh, but 
You, you can tell, right? They lack a spiritual appetite. And this rabble became a persistent sore on the body of God's people. It just kept infecting the body of God's people. And I, you know, I looked up the definition of a rabble rouser. And uh, one dictionary defined it as a person who speaks with the intention of inflaming the emotions of a crowd of people. He gets to get them fired up. Right, get get everybody angry, right? Webster's defined rabble rousers as one that stirs up the masses of the people as to hatred or violence. They these people, they really weren't sure who they were. This mixed multitude. They didn't know who they were. They weren't all in on Yahweh. They weren't Israelites, they weren't all in on Yahweh, but yet they weren't all in on Egypt either. They were just kind of floaters. They were people who just tried to live on the fence, spiritually speaking, right? Uh, They don't feel totally comfortable in the world, and yet they don't feel totally comfortable among God's people. And that's because they're half-hearted followers of Yahweh. They're, They're people who want to follow Yahweh, but also wanted to follow the world too. Have you ever sensed that in your own heart? Right? This is who they are. But I reckon, honestly, that, that what, what they, the reason they're here is that they saw what God did to the Egyptians back in Egypt and how God poured out his wrath on Egypt. They didn't want none of that, right? And then they saw Israel over here, uh, over in the land of Goshen, being blessed and being spared. And so I think what might have happened is they probably started to cling to Israelites, to the Israel, uh, Israelite nation, out of self-protection or out of a desire for personal prosperity, for the blessings. They were just along for the ride. You know, they were hoping to catch some of Israel's blessings along the way. Kind of like those folks who get into the prosperity gospel movement today, right? I'm going to go just so I can be blessed. But because they were just in it for the blessings, that means they were not going to follow Yahweh anymore when things got difficult. When things got difficult, these half-hearted, straddle-the-fence kind of people, what do they do? They start to fall away, right? They start to fall off, right? They don't want to follow anymore because they haven't given their hearts to the Lord. And it brings up a relevant question for us this morning. Are we on the fence or are we fully devoted? Are we half-hearted? You know, God's got half our heart or are we going to give him our whole heart? Are we wholehearted or half-hearted? And if you're on the fence, you know, with Christ this morning, you got to know you'll only follow him until you face difficulties. That's just the way it works. You'll quit when things get tough. You won't yield your life to him as Lord. You're you're holding back on that. You know, there's going to be certain areas of your life you're going to say, yeah, God, you can have my Sunday morning, but don't you dare touch my you know, a pocketbook, at least not too deep. Or don't touch my relationship with so-and-so. I know they're not a Christian, but I like them. You know, and so you're going to hold back in certain areas of your life. That's, a, that's an on-the-fence, half-hearted person. God wants us to give him our, our whole heart, to follow him fully, right? To live with both feet. You know, not one foot in the world, one foot in the church, but both feet fully set to following him, right? And, you know, 
if we don't, if we refuse to give Christ our life, we refuse that to yield to him, everything, it's just gonna cause us pain. It's gonna cause us a lot of discontentment. You know, we won't be happy either anywhere we go. And we'll go over to the world side and then we'll feel guilty and we'll feel shame and then we'll go over to the Christian side and then we'll feel convicted and we'll just, the same thing, guilt, shame. Because we're just straddling the fence and addicted to a false sense of freedom that we find in sin. And it looks like it's freedom, but it's actually slavery. right? Kind of like these rabble who wanted to go back to Israel or wanted to go back to Egypt, sorry. And what did they want to eat? Leeks and onions and garlic, really? That sounds terrible, but that's what sin is like. You know, wanting to go back and do our sin once we've been delivered. But anyway, um, God wants us to be fully devoted. He wants our, our whole heart. And that's the really, you know, the first principle this morning uh, for making it through the difficulties when it comes to following Jesus. You have to just trust in the sovereign Yahweh God. You need to surrender, really yield your life and embrace his plan for your life. The rabble's not going to do that. Why? Because they have their own plans. And they write their plans with a pen so they can't erase them. And then when God comes in to interrupt their plans, they get mad. Right? As Christians, let's write our plans down prayerfully with a pencil so we can erase when God says, we're going to change some things. Okay? Because that, that's what God wants. He wants us to embrace his plan for our lives. He doesn't want us fighting. He doesn't want us to, to flee when things get tough. He wants us to lean into him and trust him by faith because he is, he's worthy of our trust. You guys remember this, you know, like two chapters ahead, Numbers 13. The 12 spies, one of my favorite stories. 12 spies, they go, they spy out the promised land, and they come back, and, and they, you know, they're like, wow, there's this, this, this land is great, it's filled with milk and honey, but, but 10 of the spies were like, the people there are huge, and, and we can't do it, right? We're just, we're just not going to be able to take the land, and two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were like, we got God on our side, of course we can. You know, and only Joshua and Caleb were described as being wholehearted, fully devoted to the Lord their God. And only those two, out of this entire generation of people, enters the promised land. Only them find rest. Hebrews 3.11 says, the rest were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So, something to think about. Um, third, the, let's look at the lament of Moses here. Uh, verses 10 through 15. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families each man at the dory of his tent, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled greatly, and it was evil in the sight of Moses. So Moses said to Yahweh, Why have you allowed this evil toward your slave? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who gave birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing baby to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. And I alone am not able to carry all of this people because it's too heavy for me. And so if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see 
my wretchedness. Wow. It's not exactly the kind of prayer you, you expect to hear on Sunday morning, is it? Right? It's, it's at least it's an honest prayer. Right? Uh, some of those things go on in our hearts, and at least he turned to the right place. He turned to God. But it is sad, though, because Moses has entered into this miserable state of self-pity. He's not even thinking rationally anymore. He's just not. He's not exercising faith. He's, he's complaining. He let the complainers drag him down into their misery. And it's going to result in his own anger, and he's not going to enter the promised land soon. But look at those, those wide questions. They just reveal such a, a state of self-pity. And just he even expresses a desire just to be done with it altogether. But let's, let's take a principle from this. Uh, just a couple here. Number one, cast your burden upon the Lord. He did that right, didn't he? Cast your burden or burdens upon the Lord. And then find some spiritual friends to carry it with you. But the first, cast your burden upon the Lord. You know, when you're in deep discouragement like this, um, you need to turn to the Lord. You've got to go to him. 1 Peter 5 says, cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he, he cares for you. He cares for you. He wants to help you help carry them, right? Uh, you need the Lord to get through things. It's just the way it is. You need him. He's the sovereign God. He can handle it. He can carry it. He's the one who puts you in that position sometimes, right? Sometimes we get into some sticky situations because of our own disobedience. But sometimes, right, all of our complaints are just landing at the feet of a sovereign God. But look at this, right? Uh, Moses think, turns to the right person. He turns to the right place first. And... Uh, he goes to the Lord in prayer. Secondly, the Lord grants Moses more elders to help him out. And you can read about that in the rest of the chapter a little bit. And we'll talk about it more next time, Lord willing. But uh, he gets more help. God says, all right, let's appoint some more men to help you out, Moses. This is a heavy task. And, uh, you know, I think us too, if we're facing some deep discouragement in our lives, uh, Let's find some spiritual friends to help carry the load with us, right? Some stretcher bearers, Galatians 6, verse 2, right? Find someone to help carry the load with you. Um, but also, I would say, just be patient. Be patient with God. Because um, it can take a lot of time, weeks, months, a year, to climb out of deep, dark discouragement slowly and surely. Be patient. Be patient. Keep prioritizing your time with the Lord. Don't hurry it. Don't hurry your time with the Lord. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Don't, don't give up after 15 or 30 minutes. Keep pursuing Him. Okay, um, He cares for you. But I say that uh, even for those of us who are in ministry, like myself, 
Ministry is no exception. Obviously, Moses is involved in ministry here, right? And it's difficult. Why? Because people are difficult, and yet ministry is people. And the minister's a person, so he's difficult, too. So it's just, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself. You really do. Physically, spiritually, mentally, take care of yourself. Take that time. Um, but it is true, right? In this life, difficulties are going to come. They are. The challenges are going to come. Because as with the Israelites, God is not so much concerned about our comfort as he is our growth. And growth usually comes through, through challenges. We don't tend to grow when things are soft, when things are comfortable. We grow when there are certain challenges. And uh, complaining is just not the mature spiritual response that God's looking for. Um, it was actually the first sinful step off of a slippery slope into ingratitude and doubt and discouragement. You know, it's interesting. We've, Romans 1 came up the past two weeks of preaching. And do you know what the first step was in Romans 1.21 that people took to where they, to, to our world today, the, where, the state of it is that it's in right now with the sinful depravity, the first step was that people were unthankful. Probably complaining, right? It's just interesting. That stood out to me this week. But the depravity in our world starts with being unthankful to Creator God. And uh, it hindered this entire spiritual body of people from moving forward in maturity and entering the promised land and being a light to the nations. Remember, this, this Israel was to be a light to the nations. Look at, look at Philippians now. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Let's just turn there. I didn't put it in your notes because last week I sat in the audience and I just enjoyed flipping all these Bible pages. And, um, Philippians chapter 2. Didn't John do a great job last week? Yes. Wow. That was powerful. That was good stuff. If you missed it, go back and catch it online or on the podcast. But verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And here's the purpose statement. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, right? So um, enduring difficulties without complaining provides a light and an example for others. Paul says we're to be lights in this world by being different. And one of the ways we're different is we handle difficulties differently. We don't go into them just complaining. We're, we're grateful. We're not grumblers. We, we exercise faith. We're going to rejoice in our circumstances, in all circumstances, and we're going to Try to keep our minds fixed, Paul says, on what's true, on what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, lovely, good, right? And we're going to rest in God's sovereignty. And we're going to trust him, and we're going to grow into maturity that way. Guys, uh, maybe, maybe you're in a difficult situation right now. Um, I don't know what it is, but think about it. Ask yourself this question, is God still Sovereign over it. Is God sovereign over your situation? Is he still good? Is he all-powerful? And if so, then why are we complaining? 
you can trust God and you can let the difficulty bring out the best in you. You could say, let's see what God does with this. Or you can complain and you can let it bring out the worst in you and it can drive you down a dark road. Refuse to listen to the rabble. Refuse to listen to the rabble. If you want to be a light in this world, refuse to listen to the rabble because the rabble are everywhere. Social media, news, rabble. Rabble is everywhere. It's full of rabble. You know what's even scarier? Our own hearts are full of rabble. And I read something yesterday. They said, there was a post on Facebook. They said, always listen to your heart and then tell it to be quiet because it's an idle factory. And you know why we complain is because we can't worship the idols that we have in our hearts, our idol of comfort, our idol of self-protection and prosperity, our, our idol of self. That's where a lot of our complaints come from, the idol factory in, in here. So refuse to listen to the rabble and then lean into your difficulties by faith. Lean into them. By faith, instead of complaining, Israel should have said, you know what, we don't have any water, no big deal. Let's see what God does. Let's watch God provide. Enemies approaching, right? We got an all-powerful God. This is nothing. Let's go take the promised land. But instead, they just, again, went down that slope. Yesterday, I was on the water. I went fishing with my father-in-law, and we should have looked at the weather better. Because, man, that morning was beautiful, and it was like sunny, man, 70 degrees, let's do this. You know, we get up there, we're fishing for a little bit, and then those winds hit just out of nowhere, and I'm like, man, I hope I, I wish I had service. You know, I see how long these winds are going to last. But it came up just out of nowhere, 20, 25 miles an hour, winds, just stiff winds, and that wind would blow you all over that lake. You know, it, it, it will. If you don't point your boat, how do you point your boat? Into the wind, right? Into the waves. When you're kayaking, how do you keep from tipping over when there's big waves? You lean into them, right? You go straight head on or else you're going to capsize. Same thing when you're sailing. When the winds are hitting you, that's when you want to lean into it so you can steer it. I don't know a whole lot about sailing, but you know what I mean? You have to lean into the difficulties or else you're, you're done for, right? You're going to capsize. That's the same principle here. Lean into the wind. Don't, don't fight. Don't flee. Don't freeze. Just lean in by faith. Uh, the wind can be your friend, it can bring out the best in you, or it can be your, your enemy, it can bring out the worst in you. And so, um, we've got to learn to weather these storms well by leaning in by faith. But this week, you know, I spent some time with that, that book called Delivering Your Future. Actually, I read the book this week, but, and it's an excellent book, like I told you. But 
at one point in the book, he discusses a difficulty that his family went through. His dad uh, apparently had started a very successful home building company that grew into like the 10th largest private home building, home building company uh, in the country. And it, the whole family was involved in this thing, you know, his brothers, his sisters, that sort of thing. They served 25,000 clients over 25 years. They, they did their work as if under the Lord, building unique and affordable homes for people that people loved. And uh, business was so good that they actually became the, the title sponsor of the Indianapolis Colts, back when the Colts were, were huge, right? Tony Dungy is the coach, and Peyton Manning's the quarterback. And their family name, they would sit at the games, right? In these nice seats at the games. And their family name would, with their business, you know, a name would like flash across the screen all the time. You know, they represented the Colts. But um, everyone had heard of their name. And then almost overnight, and he didn't give the year, but I'm guessing 2008, right? Everything just flipped. I mean, the whole housing market just flopped. I mean, it turned on its head overnight. The housing market dropped out. Everything spiraled out of their control. There was nothing they could do. I mean, they were forced to either, number one, close the company, or number two, put in a large sum of money, personal, private money, right, to try to save the business. And at that point, they had no idea how long this recession was even going to last. It's like, what do I do here? And... Um, they ended up closing the company and for three years had to deal with all the junk, you know, that comes with closing a company. You know, all of the home <clears throat> buyers who had built all these homes uh, that were under construction, some of them, uh, they had aggressive attorneys and creditors coming after, him, after them. They said it was just the darkest time that their family had ever been through together. And um, you can imagine how easy it would be to complain and start asking all those, those why questions. Well, he said you know, post-difficulty, right? He said walking through this, this dark season was one of the best things that ever happened to them because, number one, it created a reliance upon God that they thought they had before, <laughs> right? Uh, before that happened. Number two, they, they learned that they started to place their identity in the business rather than in Christ, because it was such a prestigious company, it was their family name, and you know they had this sense of worth based on how the company was doing. Instead of putting something, putting their identity and their worth in something that was changing, they learned to put it into Christ, who was unchanging. And then third, it pushed, it pushed him and all of his siblings into their own unique callings in life. You know, before he was convinced his role was to take up his dad's mantle, but now he understood, and that's okay if that happens, but now he understood God had created him uniquely, right? Unique talents, gifts, interests, and he started to understand himself. And, and you just wouldn't even have that book today that he wrote. I wouldn't be sharing this right now if he didn't find out who he was, who God created him to be. He had self-awareness, right? And then before, it just gave him a ministry to others. But uh, this morning... My last principle for us is just, you know, when it comes to our difficulties and we're facing them and you want to lean in, instead of asking why, you know, like those self-pity why questions that we ask, ask what or how. Ask what or how. What is God doing through the difficulties in my life? What is he doing? It's hard to be optimistic in a difficulty, right? But ask, like, think about it. God is doing something in this situation, what is he going to do? What is he trying to teach me? 
What has he taught me in the past that I need to apply right now? Um, what are some promises of God that override my current thinking and feelings? And then how can I demonstrate my faith in a practical way in this difficulty? How can I demonstrate faith in a sovereign God? How can I glorify him in this situation? And I think those questions are going to help you uh, not only go through the valley, but actually grow through the valley. And uh, think about that as we come to uh, communion, the communion table this morning, uh, where we remember that Jesus is uh, the only manna that truly satisfies our hearts, right? Sometimes we want something new, we want something different to try and find satisfaction. But the reality is, it's that same old manna, isn't it? It's that same old Jesus. He's where we find satisfaction. He's where we find fulfillment, ultimately. Mm-hmm.